If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me back to Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to jump into that text here in just a couple minutes. Just want to remind you that we are in this season of Lent. Uh, the season of Lent is a time for us to uh, remember, to reflect. Uh, it's a time for renewal, and it's a time for repentance. And just to help us in this season of Lent, we have a devotional that we're walking through together. A devotional that's kind of guiding our time individually and guiding our time as families. We have a little group that gets together on Wednesday night over at Red Rock at 6.30 to just to talk it out together. And that's been a sweet, uh, sweet spot. Just want to invite you into that. We also have the cross up here on the stage. And this morning as I was sitting there, I couldn't see the screen well. And I had to look through the cross in order to see the words on the screen Uh, Having the cross up here in the front this morning just caused me to look a little bit differently at what we were singing. I'm looking out there and now seeing Kevin through the cross and Tawana and Rev, seeing you guys through the cross. Trusting that this season, this season of Lent, is one in which we'd be able to see each other a little more clearly as we look at each other through the cross. And we also have this little altar up here uh, at the front if there's ever a time in which you want to just come And in a posture of worship, kneel at the altar. Know that the altar is available for you. So before I jump in uh, to the text, a couple of questions um, for you to consider as we begin. When God first speaks to the people of Israel about himself, what's the word or phrase that he uses to describe his character? So when God is first speaking to his people, Israel, what does he say about himself? How does he sort of introduce himself. Any ideas? Any words come to mind? Anybody want to shout it out? Holy, I am that I am, somebody said. What'd you say, Rev? I am, yeah, I am that I am. Yeah, he said that to Moses. Everlasting, yep, everlasting, that's right. Anybody else? How about somebody from back there? I'm gonna call on people today. Does that sound okay? Keep everybody awake. I know you're tired after the whole losing hour thing. We'll keep people, keep people guessing. Uh, he says this, he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how God introduces himself again to the people of Israel. It's really the first thing that he says to this group of people, this is who he is. I'm the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Not sure how you introduce yourself, uh, maybe, you know, to new neighbors or to somebody at a new office or new classroom. Not sure how you introduce yourself, but this is how he introduces himself. I'm compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. A couple more questions real quick here. Where have you experienced God's compassion and grace? This might be a question that you could talk about with your friends or family or text a friend and ask, hey, where have you experienced, if this is who God is, where have you experienced God's compassion and grace? And then maybe one more, last one. Where do you long, where do you long for a deeper understanding of his abounding love and faithfulness? It might be just a place in which you can think and talk about together. As we begin this message, I'd love for you to just keep these questions here maybe in front of you. Where have you experienced God's grace, compassion, 
And where is it in your life that you long for a deeper understanding of his abounding love and faithfulness? We're in the sermon series where we're learning to live and love like Jesus. Jesus embodies all the fullness of God. As Jesus moves in and among the people of this earth, his character, Jesus' character, is exactly the character of his Father. So Jesus, too, is compassionate and gracious. Jesus, too, abounds in love and faithfulness. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. If you're looking at your Bible, uh, these are the last few verses in Matthew chapter 9. And in essence... These verses are like a summary of Matthew chapter 9, and they're an invitation uh, for what's yet to come. Last week, we learned a little bit of Matthew's story. Uh, we, it's up there in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, uh, about how Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew is so moved by the mercy of Jesus that he throws this big party for Jesus. Uh, all of his friends are invited, the sinners and tax collectors. Some Pharisees eventually show up to this party. They don't like it. They start questioning Jesus' disciples. Hey, why are you eating with these sinners? And Jesus says these words from the Old Testament. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, the questions from the Pharisees continue. They're here in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 down through verse 17. But then in Matthew 18, uh, verse 18, sorry, Matthew 9, verse 18, Matthew turns back to the healing ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, there are 10 accounts of, the, of Jesus healing people. And here, in the, this next section, Matthew's going to highlight four of those healings. Just want, we won't talk about them, I just want you to be aware of them. In verse 22, Jesus heals a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus turns to her and he says, take heart, daughter. He says, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Matthew then records Jesus healing a girl who was dead. Of verse 25. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. Verse 29 and 30, Jesus heals two blind men. He touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And then in verse 32 and 33, it records Jesus healing a man who was demon-possessed. While they were going out a mountain who was demon-possessed and could not talk, was mute, who could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. And they said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And then the verses that we read just a moment ago, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. What's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming here? What's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming? If someone were to ask you, like, what is this, what's so good about Christianity? Like, why do you, what would you answer? What's the good news about, what's the good news about the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming? 
We've talked here before uh, a couple times about a pastor here in Marietta that had a significant influence on a lot of people. His name was Charles Sineth. And Charles used to begin most of his sermons by saying, good news, good news, good news. Somewhere in his sermon, he was going to work in this phrase, good news, good news, good news. What is the good news? The good news is more than just getting a ticket for entrance into heaven. The good news is Jesus. The good news is who he is. The good news is what he's done. The good news is what he's accomplished on your behalf. The good news is his invitation to you and me into his eternal kingdom. But it is to begin right now on earth as it is in heaven. The people of Israel were waiting for some good news. They were waiting and waiting. And in Isaiah 61, there's a prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. That Messiah, when he came, would preach good news. I've told you this before, but every Sunday morning when I open my Bible and put my notes on top of my Bible, I open it to Isaiah 61 because it's good news. I just want you to hear a couple verses from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To pro, uh, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives. Release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And when Jesus comes, he preaches good news. And he doesn't just preach good news, he embodies good news. In fact, this passage of scripture, Isaiah 61, when Jesus first begins his public ministry, he goes back to his hometown and he goes to church. And in that church, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah 61. Jesus reads those verses and he says, here and now, these verses are being fulfilled in your presence. And he wraps up the scroll and he hands it back to the hands it back to the priest. This is who Jesus is. This is the good news that he proclaims. The good news, the kingdom that has come on earth as it is in heaven. Now look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot going on in this one verse. There's a lot we could talk about here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They're harassed and helpless. The people that were coming to Jesus were sick people. They were physically sick. They were emotionally sick. And they were soul sick. They have been abused. They'd been cast out. No one sees them. No one hears them because, because no one cares to. They're outcasts, they're the poor, they're the marginalized, they're the sick. No one really wants to pay any attention to them at all. They have no shepherd. They have no one to lead them to a place of rest. No one to refresh their soul. These people who are harassed and helpless, they're directionless. No one to guide them along right paths. They're people who walk alone in their morning, kind of stumbling through their dark, trying to figure out 
the shadows of grief and mourning. And they're doing it alone without community. They're distressed and downcast. And they live in perpetual fear. They are a sheep without a shepherd. No one to comfort. No one to invite them into their table. No one stands with them when their enemy comes against them. And when Jesus sees this crowd, when Jesus sees these people, he's moved with compassion. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In the love story between God and his people, God's compassion compels him ultimately to rescue his people from their self-destructive ways. Ultimately, God decides the best way to do this is to enter into humanity, to enter into all of its suffering and to take that suffering upon himself. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 says these words, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all are like sheep that have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus enters into the suffering of all humanity to bring restoration. It's compassionate. You don't have to tell the person sitting next to you, but what comes to your mind when you think of the word compassion? Like what, what do you think of when you think of compassion? Think of mothers? Did you say that, Lily? Think of mothers. Sitting next to your mother. It's great. It's really great. Your mother is compassionate. To a lot of us, to all of us. Thank you for being compassionate, Stephanie. How cool is that? That a daughter would say her mother's compassionate. Anybody else want to give an answer out loud? I'll just call on some people. Anybody? Compassion. What comes to your mind when you think about compassion? What you got, Sherry? Being moved and doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I think that's what comes to my mind. Tenderness? Yes. Yes. But selflessness, compassion is selflessness, tenderness. I think when I was growing up, kind of maybe along the lines of what Sherry said, uh, compassion to me was to put love into action. So compassion is a form of love, but it's an active love, right? Um, this is really interesting to me. Uh, it's one thing to... To think about loving the broken, right? It's another thing to invite the broken to your house for dinner. Compassion says, I don't just see you cold and hungry. I'm bringing, to, I'm bringing you to my house for dinner because my wife makes the best taco soup in the neighborhood. Look at this text one more time. When Jesus is moved with compassion, what does he do? He doesn't do anything. He's moved with compassion, but he doesn't do anything. 
He's already done all the teaching. He's already done all the preaching. He's already done all the healing. He's already proclaimed the good news. When he's moved with compassion, it's after all of that. He kind of stands back, sees all of these people, sees all that is going on, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The word compassion, the best definition or description, means it comes from the very, almost, if you will, stay with me, I know it kind of sounds gross, the very, your very bowels. It comes from the deepest place in you. What's going on in Jesus is coming from the truest place in him, coming sort of up from your intestines, if you will. It's a disposition so deep that it causes you to act. I don't know, parents or grandparents, compassion is something like the deep disposition that you have toward the flourishing of your own children or grandchildren. But in this case, you feel it for a person or for people, maybe a crowd of people that you don't even know very well. Jesus doesn't even know these people very well. He just sees where they are. He sees who they are and he's moved with compassion. It's the same Greek word, compassion. It's the same Greek word that's used in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Many of you know that story. This son runs off and is lost And then he decides to come home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And his action was to run to him and throw his arms around him and kiss him. Another expression of compassion in Jesus, when he hears that his friend Lazarus dies, he comes, eventually comes to Bethany and he meets Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, When Jesus saw their weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It's the same phrase there as compassion. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. This compassionate response, what did Jesus do? How did he put love into action? He wept. One more question for you to consider. When and where have you experienced this kind of compassion? Maybe somebody throwing the doors wide open for you and welcoming you home, throwing a big party for you. Or maybe someone knowing a little bit of your story coming alongside of you and weeping with you. Maybe another question would be, where would you like to experience this kind of compassion? Maybe. One of my heroes is a Catholic priest named Father Greg Boyle, sometimes known as Father G. In East Los Angeles, he grew up in what he calls the happiest place on earth in Orange County, California, about 10 minutes from Disneyland. And he started hanging around the church and he was loved by the church family and he really enjoyed hanging around the priests. He said there was so much joy there. That was the place that he wanted to be was at the church. And eventually he became a priest and he ended up serving essentially an area that was filled with gang members in East LA, a far cry from the happiest place on earth. In fact, it was said this one spot where he lives called Boyle Heights uh, in East LA, it had the, the highest capita, uh, gang member capita than any other place in the world. This m- most concentrated group of gang members were in this little parish and where he was serving But instead of standing in the church and waiting for the gang members to come to him, he decided he was going to them. He began to learn their language. 
He learned about their suffering. He learned about their culture. He immersed himself into their world. And he's never left. He's been there like 30 years. I just got to tell you one story, just one real quick story from his ministry. Sometimes when Father G goes and gives talks, he'll bring what he calls a homie. He'll bring one of his homies along and invite the homie to share his story. And uh, this story, uh, this guy, uh, his name was Jose. This gang member was telling a story. And uh, he said, I guess he started out his story this way. He said, I guess uh, my mom and I didn't get along. I was six when she told me, why don't you just kill yourself? And the audience gasped, kind of like you guys just did a little bit there. And then Jose added, it sounds way worse in Spanish. (laughs) By the time Jose finished, uh, the audience laughed and Father G said, "Um, they cried. And then Jose told this story. Uh, When I was nine, my mom drove me to an orphanage and she told the man who came to the door, I just found this kid. He said, I was there for three months before my grandmother rescued me. He said, my mom beat me every day. And in elementary school, I wore three t-shirts because blood would seep through the first two. The other kids would say, Hey, fool, don't you know it's 100 degrees outside? Father G says, Jose stopped speaking as though staring at a piece of his story that only he could see. When he resumed, he said, I was ashamed of my wounds, but now I run my fingers over the scars. My wounds are my friends. How can I heal the wounds if I don't welcome them? Father G said he recently buried his 252nd gang member. Can you imagine? And people say to him all the time, that doesn't sound like success. Burying 252 kids doesn't sound like a thriving ministry. He says it doesn't, people would say to him all the time, it doesn't sound like success. Relapse doesn't sound like success. Running away, being estranged, being lost doesn't sound like success. Certainly dying doesn't sound like success. And Father G said, my call is not to be successful, it is to be faithful. He is a shepherd of the sheep and his job is not to be successful, It is to be faithful. He's been offered positions at big churches or nonprofits, even some governmental roles, but he stays with his homies in Boyle Heights learning how to be faithful, shepherding sheep. He says, I'm just here until all of my sons and daughters come home. And I just thought about maybe just as important are all these shepherds that show up on Wednesday nights to care for and love on our students in our student ministry. Shepherds that show up not knowing if their sheep are going to show up or not, not knowing if they're going to have relapsed or not, not knowing if they're going to have run away or not, or if they're wounded or not, if they've cut themselves this week or not. 
Just think about how faithful our shepherds are to show up every Wednesday night with this big group of teenagers or every Sunday morning. These folks that consistently show up every Sunday morning and not just on Sunday morning to love your kids, but on Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings when they intercede, when they don't stop praying for your kids. They are shepherds and our kids are their sheep. When Jesus sees this crowd, He turns back to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't say? Jesus doesn't say, there's a whole lot of problem here. We better get busy. Jesus doesn't say, well, we better figure out a strategy on how we're going to make it work. Jesus doesn't say, in fact, he doesn't tell them to do anything. What he does tell them to do is ask. Ask. This is so fascinating to me, especially growing up in the church. Think you got to have an answer, got to figure it out, got to make a way. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. He just says, ask. Will you ask me? Ask me. He says the harvest is here. The harvest is here. It's among the broken people. It's among the lonely. It's among the sick. And by the way, Jesus is pointing to the people right in front of him. He will send them out. One day he's going to send them out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He is going to do that. But what Jesus says is the harvest is right here. It's right in front of you. It's not in some far off place where people speak a different language. It starts, the harvest starts right here. The harvest begins with the people you're sitting next to. The people in this building, the teenagers on Wednesday nights, the kids at Hayes, your next door neighbor, your coworker, your best friend, or maybe even your ex-best friend. Jesus is asking his disciples, and I believe he's asking you and me to ask God. The heart of God for people can only be received from God. We can't conjure up something that we don't have. And so he says, ask, ask. What we're talking about here, you and I, is possessing the very heart of God for people. Anything else will lead to compassion fatigue. You know that and I know that. If we try to do this in our own strength, we're ultimately going to end up being exhausted. Jesus is asking his disciples to ask him to send them out into the harvest fields. J.D. Walt comments about this passage of scripture. He says, I think he wants them to know that this kind of deep, compassionate disposition toward other people, a love that rises to the level of actual power can only be given by him, can only be given to them by Jesus. He gives it in response to our asking him to send us out into the fields. When Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, this is what he means. This is truly higher love than a human being is capable of, apart from the Holy Spirit. In the little church that I grew up in, we used to sing this little chorus, except I am moved with compassion, How dwelleth thy spirit in me and word and deed burning love is my need and I know I can only find this in thee. 
It's not something that we can do on our own. It has to be given. If we're gonna truly live and love like Jesus, it's gonna start with us asking. And I want us to ask for that kind of heart, for that kind of disposition, for the people that are right in front of us, for the people that are right around us. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I just wanna end this message right here, just giving you a chance to ask. To ask him to help you see what's right in front of you. To ask him to help you hear what's being said by the person sitting next to you or by what's not being said. To ask him to help you live and love the way that he lives and love and to respond only when you're moved with compassion. So let's pray together and then just give you a moment or two of quiet to ask and then Sonny will lead us, continue to lead us in worship. So let's pray. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for being the Lord. Thank you for being compassionate and gracious to us. Thank you for being slow to anger, abounding in love. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being faithful. May we believe and receive your compassion and your grace and your love. May we learn the unforced rhythms of faithfulness. God, the harvest is here. The harvest is now. I pray, would you fill us and empower us and lead us back to you and then back into the world with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's ask.